Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show, Confessions of a Creative Director, the only podcast made by a creative director for creative directors, those people looking to become creative directors, recovering creative directors, anybody really that just uh, is in a creative role or wants to be in a creative role, wants to learn more about other creatives, this show is for you. So welcome back. I know it's been a while. Sorry about that. I know you guys have all been patiently waiting by your uh, podcasting devices to hear the latest show, so apologies for that. Try to get back on track here in 2021. We're in 2021, guys. I'm so happy to have 2020 behind us. It was an awful year. Uh, I'm I'm hopeful. I'm nauseously optimistic for 2021. Uh, I hope we can get the uh, pandemic under control, get people back to work. Um, And then we can return to some sense of normalcy. But in the meantime, uh, I'll be doing my part to try to keep you entertained and help you uh, keep learning about creativity and whatnot. And, you know, with that in mind, a couple of weeks ago, I got an email from this really interesting uh, guy, executive creative director Cliff Lewis out of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It was really a nice note on LinkedIn just saying, hey, thanks for putting this podcast on. I'm an executive creative director. It's giving me life, you know, to, to hear stories from other creative directors. So I thought it was a really nice note, uh, you know, wrote back to him, started a, started a conversation with him and learn about all this great stuff that they're doing at their agency, which is called Godfrey. And it's an agency that focuses on industrial business to business marketing. And we got to talking, and he told me about this presentation that he, that he and his partner, uh, Scott Trobaugh, did at a, a business-to-business marketing summit. And it was a presentation that was centered all around the story of Mr. Rogers and his relationship to B2B marketing. And he sent me a clip of it, and it just really blew my mind on a lot of different levels. And I said, I got to have these guys on the show. So without further ado, Cliff Lewis and Scott Trobaugh. Hey, Cliff. Hey, Scott. How are you guys doing? Thanks for uh, thanks for joining the show today. Yeah, man. Glad to be here. This is great. Yeah. Thanks very much. We're excited. So we're wrapping up uh, the year. It's uh, recording this on, what is it today? The, 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 uh, the 22nd? Are you guys, uh, I imagine you're probably busy wrapping things up. Uh, at your work, I, I imagine it's a little bit crazy, but uh, what's what's been going on there? It's uh, it's definitely a busy week, and it is for us because I, we're lucky enough that our uh, our our entire company is taking a week off next week. So, which which is great, which is going to be really fun, but it definitely makes the whole place feel like a madhouse. 
uh, in the days leading up to that. So it's, it's a, it's a mixed blessing, more blessing than a curse, but, uh, it definitely makes things busy right now. I've, I've always said, if you're going to hop off the train for a while, you either have to run ahead before you rest or you have to rest and then be ready to run ahead to catch up again. Yeah. And, and will you guys be able to shut down for a little bit or is it going to be uh, all kinds of requests coming in last, you know, during the break, will you be able to kind of chill out for a little bit? We we did a really great job, and I say we as a company, um, but especially our our leadership, uh, did a great job of making a decision about that very early in the season uh, to give everybody plenty of time to to plan for it. Uh, and then also we do have the skeleton crew of people who are going to be available if any emergencies occur. So um, it's it's put us in a good position, I think. Yeah. And, and, you know, we were talking internally, I was talking to my team and, and some of the people that we, you know, our internal sort of clients and stuff and saying, you know, of any year, this is the year that we truly need to shut down and just get, you know, finish this year out, just get it behind us and move on. So we really sort of got ahead of that. So good. I'm glad that you guys are, are able to do that. So um, just kind of bringing folks up to speed. Cliff and I met uh, through LinkedIn and we started a, you know, a conversation and, and uh, I started kind of asking a little bit about what he does. And he told me about this incredible uh, presentation that they did uh, to an audience of B2B marketers, which uh, you guys work for an agency who specializes in B2B marketing. And you said something that was, that was really interesting to me about sort of embracing your inner weirdness. And this is kind of when you think about it, and I'll let you explain it. When you think about it, this is kind of sort of a weird thing to bring together, yet it made so much sense, (laughs) right? So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about the agency that you work for and the types of clients that, that you guys work with, and then transition us into this incredible presentation that you gave at, at a conference for B2B marketers. So let's start there and see where the conversation takes us. Yeah. So, um, so we work at Godfrey, which is a, a business to business marketing agency. We specialize in industrial and in serving industrial manufacturers. So that's basically the companies that make the stuff that goes into the stuff that goes into the stuff that goes into the stuff that everyday consumers and everyday people interact with things that make their lives better. So, so we work with a lot of industrial companies that make things. So we don't typically work with uh, B2B companies that are service oriented. We work a lot with manufacturers. So, so we love that work um, as creatives. And one of the things that uh, Scott and I have always loved about it is, and this is what made me fall in love with it when I first got involved with this agency, is as a creative person, um, you're walking into, it's a blank canvas. The, the, the amount of creative expression, the amount of storytelling that exists in some of these, some of these spaces is, is, is very, is minimal to, to none, nothing at all. And so you're walking into this place and, and it always felt to me in the first couple of years I spent uh, working in this industry, uh, the, the metaphor that always came to mind was it's like you're terraforming a once uninhabitable planet. It's like you're terraforming the moon. You're turning a place that doesn't seem to have any life or any vitality and you're, you're making it funny and you're making it interesting and you're making it exciting. You're bringing story to that space. So um, as creative directors um, wearing various hats through over the, throughout the years, that's, that's kind of what Scott and I have loved to do. Yeah, it's it's actually really interesting because the audiences that we speak to are frequently uh, people who are not often seen. 
you know, in terms of just demographics, people like engineers, uh, you don't get a lot of commercials uh, or, or things like that for engineers. And so when you actually can tell an engineering joke uh, or you can, you can give that nod and people not only feel seen, but they really feel, feel drawn in by that. Um, it builds an, an immense amount of trust. Uh, and so you, you get to, you get to talk to these audiences that don't have a lot that's just for them. And so tell me a little bit about how, you know, it sounds from what I've been able to uh, glean from some of the the materials, it sounds like you guys are working on full campaigns, right? So tell us a little bit about the output that you might be generating. Is it ads? Is it, I imagine there's some content involved. I imagine there's sales materials. Like give us a sort of a, uh, just an overview of the types of materials that you're producing. Yeah, everything that we do um, usually starts with a concept, right? Usually starts with a big idea. Uh, you know, folks in your audience are going to understand that process. Everybody has a different way of getting there. Um, but once we have that really big idea, uh, it can it can sort of repeat itself into almost anything. So we might be doing, uh, we do plenty of web work. We do plenty of, uh, of digital advertising. Uh, we still do a fair amount of print ads. That's that's you know waning uh, as the years go by, but we we still work with a lot of trade pubs, um, the, uh, social campaigns. There's 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 really a variety across the board. Cliff, I'm I'm sure yeah. you can speak to some things there. Yeah, and and a fair amount of experience design as well. And that's that's part of what's fun in this space is that trade shows are huge for a lot of our clients. Um, some for some of them, this that is their some of their biggest money makers throughout the year are are some of the sales that they make during those big trade events. So we we get the opportunity, and this is probably one of the best uh, terraforming type of experiences we get to have because we get to go into these spaces where there's it, the, those, those those if you ever go, I don't know if you've been to an industrial trade show, but those environments are just they're riddled with cliche, and so you get to come in and try to do something something different and something unexpected. So. Um, you know, for one example was we had a client that works in the heavy machinery industry. They had, they were coming out with more new products in their category than ever before one year. And we had to concept for them what they were going to do at this major trade event um, to welcome customers and prospective customers. What were they going to do at this event uh, to, to spend some time with these folks and, and advance the narrative of all this new innovation that they were coming out with? And this was in New Orleans. This was several years ago. And uh, they had the opportunity to rent the Superdome. And so we were going to create this customer event at the Superdome and all the muscle memory, all of the, the cliche, you know, knee jerk impulse would be, this is a football themed event. We're going to bring everyone to the Super Bowl. It's going to be, you know, you know, uh, run, run your equipment to the, to the 40 yard line. And instead of that, um, we pitched this whole idea about basically turning that place into Tomorrowland. And we, we pitched them on this. We said, listen, it's, this is about the future of your industry. So let's make people feel like they are, are being transported into the future uh, when they attend this event. So we got to take over that environment. We, we practically scrubbed every football-related cliche and reference out of the place. And we got to turn it into this sort of immersive, futuristic-feeling environment. Um, so we get to do stuff like that as well. So, yeah, but it all starts with, with a big creative idea. Um, that's rooted in whatever that core strategic message is that starts out uh, that we start out with in the very beginning, um, which I think actually segues pretty well into yeah into the story about yeah, yeah, how yeah. how we stumbled upon this this incredibly weird and and sort of potent idea, um, which is Scott and I 
work together as a creative team. So we're both creative directors, but we started working together um, when we were when I was a junior copywriter and Scott was uh, an art director and we were an art and copy team. And we, we found that simpatico, that, that, that alchemy that happens between two people. Sometimes when it feels like, you know, when you work together, what you come up with is more than the sum of your parts. And we started working together about eight years ago in that capacity and got involved in a whole lot of that creative concepting that leads into tactics like, the Tomorrowland experience that we developed several years ago. Um, and we've come up with, we, we have a lot of, um, we've come up with, with sort of a culture between the two of us of how we like to come up with those ideas, how we brainstorm, how we shoot things around. Um, I think Scott, you could probably speak to this pretty well, how we, how we typically approach that process. Yeah. Well, um, I would say that the, the, the core to all of it is, uh, is an element of mischief, First off, like first and foremost, because um, I've always viewed people as as successful if they go to work every day and cannot believe they get paid to do what they're doing. And so Cliff and I would get into a room together and we started to have to spend um, we started to have to book it partly over a lunch hour because we just knew how much time we were going to waste. Um, and I've heard other creative yeah. teams talk about that. I've heard uh, Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David talk about, you know, we could just waste time like nobody else. And what what we came to realize over time is in doing that and in not putting a whole lot of restrictions on yourself, not putting a whole lot of pressure on yourself, uh, you actually are getting into that flow state of creative where even if we tried not to, within 30 minutes, we were actually getting work done. So we would we would book a room for an hour and a half and we would get a solid hour's worth of work done. And that hour would actually be worth about four hours of, of individual effort. So, so we started to realize that we were actually, um, we're actually saving our clients money in, in a sense by, by uh, thinking that way and by working that way. Um, and it wasn't until years later, I actually saw John Cleese uh, on YouTube giving a talk about creativity. And he said, book 90 minutes. Don't put any pressure on yourself. He, he basically gave this exact rundown yeah. of what we had discovered. And it was from his days working with uh, Graham Chapman as a writing partner on Monty Python and how they would come up with stuff. Uh, so we, we were getting kind of that reinforcement that we were doing this the right way. Uh, but we had, we had developed it really quite on our own. So um, it, it, it's always been fascinating to me how that works. It's almost metaphysical. And, and what, yeah, you got it. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, we in, in those sessions, we we cover we end up covering a lot of very ridiculous ground and we've come up with with all kinds of absurd ideas. I mean, we concept we, we concept entire brands, we concept entire business models like as a commercial break in the process of concepting something else. You know, so <laughs> we've we've invented we invented a line of none of this stuff's on the line today, but we invented a line of, uh, of, of fast food restaurants that serves nothing but chicken and waffle sandwiches. And we came up with all these different distinct recipes for chicken and waffle sandwiches. Like, um, what, what is it? We had like the, I think it was called the Dixie, which yeah. was, that was, the, that was fried chicken with gravy. Yeah. And then the, <laughs> and then the Yankee, I believe was another one. That's cream chicken. That's not my favorite. We're from Pennsylvania. They they mess up chicken and waffles here. Yeah, and then the, Ma the Mason Dixon was one of them, I think. Too. Mason Dixon's probably the best one. That's the fried chicken with the gravy and the cream chicken on on top, and that's like a two dollar upcharge. And then and then I think most intriguing of all is the general so. The general so is exactly what it sounds like. We also uh, for for the uh, for the pescatarians, we also had the uh, the oh, Chesapeake, yeah. right, which was a crab cake. 
Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so, I mean, we've done all, we've, 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 we've debated, you know, which Steven Spielberg movie is the greatest of all. And we've come up with these elaborate charts and graphs to try to document it on a positioning grid. That, you know, one, like how... almost, that one almost ended our friendship actually. <laughs> it's, it's, it's worth, it's still on the rocks, my friend. Um, <laughs> well, but, hold on. Uh, so, so, so put a pin on in that, put a pin in that cause I want to come back and ask you a question about that. But yeah. so now, okay. So now that the audience get, gets a sense of this dynamic and this kind of free exchange of ideas, Explain to me how you got to Mr. Rogers, okay. uh, which is the, which is the, you know, the premise of this video, which uh, I, I assume I can maybe cut into the podcast so you guys can hear a little bit about uh, of it. But how did you guys get to that? That was really, really interesting because one of the things that Cliff and I got to do a lot that we loved really more than anything else was we got to go to a lot of factory tours. And when you're in B2B and you're in industrial marketing, you get to go find out how the coolest stuff is made. It's absolutely fascinating every time. Um, we've seen uh, we've seen sheet metal basically bent into fire trucks and all the stuff put into it. We, we've seen that that process from start to finish. Uh, we've watched guys uh, weld augers into uh, concrete mixers. Um, what are some other high points there, Cliff? Like algae getting turned into uh, into bio biofuel. I mean, just just some really fascinating stuff we get to see. Yeah, and and we we get excited by that, you know, because that is that nerding out component of the work we do, where we get to kind of crack something open and see how everything works inside of it. And it was it was one of those conversations. You know, we were we were uh, we were kind of rhapsodizing around that that whole experience one day as we were concepting something, and we kind of realized that all of it kept bringing us back to these memories of being little kids sitting at home, watching episodes of Mr. Rogers neighborhood. And, and because, because one of the things that, you know, everybody has their own Mr. Rogers memory who grew, who grew up with him. But I think one of the really ubiquitous experiences from Mr. Rogers neighborhood was these factory tours that he would take, uh, take his audience on and, and probably most notable that one that a lot of people remember is uh, his crayon factory tour where he took, you know, he basically took his young audience into the place where crayons are made and you get to see all, all the processes and not just the processes, but the people uh, who come together to make things happen and to, and to bring about the, the items and the objects that we interact with every day. So Scott and I were talking a lot about uh, Fred Rogers and realizing that he felt like this unique inspiration uh, for people who do what we do, who are communicators, especially dealing with complex subjects. And that was when we kind of started coming up with this idea that Fred Rogers is the patron saint of business to business marketing communications. Let's listen to, uh, so let's listen to a bit of that uh, here for a couple minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, the factory tours. <laughs> We have seen, we have seen worn out tires transformed into high performance commercial and athletic flooring. We have seen common everyday algae transformed into biodiesel fuel. We have seen sheet metal bent into fire trucks. In case you can't tell, factory tours give us all the feels. Yeah. So Scott and I started to realize that for both of us, our first introduction to the world of B2B came in the form of the factory tour. But this was before the sheet metal and the fire trucks and the biodiesel. This was all the way back in the very beginning when we were just little kids sitting on the carpet at home watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Right. 
One of the things that he did was to talk to kids about what it's like to grow up and go to work. And so he took us, he took the children through these factory tours to go and meet the people who made everyday objects that they would see. Yeah, and it was through watching these factory tours that we learned how so many everyday objects were made, everything from teddy bears to toothbrushes. But perhaps most memorably of all, here it comes. Mr. Rogers showed us oh, yeah. how crayons are made. Mm. Who here remembers the Mr. Rayon, Mr. Rogers Crayon Factory Tour, right? I do. It's playing right now, isn't it? It is. I can think of no other piece of modern television that has created more oddly satisfying animated GIFs. You can't look away. And why would you want to? Yeah. So it was about five years ago that Scott and I got to talking a lot about these gifts and these factory tours, and it got us talking a lot about Fred Rogers. Right, what we realized is that he was more than just a nostalgic tie back to our roots in B2B. Mm -hmm. But yeah. instead was an active inspiration for the work that we do every single day. Yeah, we went so far as to decide that Fred Rogers is the ideal inspiration for anybody working in the field of business-to-business -business marketing today. Not just an inspiration, ladies and gentlemen, nope. not just a role model. Nope. We needed something a little higher. Mm -hmm. And that's when we started calling him the patron saint. That's right. Fred Rogers is the patron saint of B2B marketers like you and like me. From the video, it, it sounds like the audience was eating it up, right? And they were probably, this was probably something that they'd never um, seen before or this kind of presentation at an event like this. So um, back up a second and tell us the event that you guys, where you guys presented this at. And tell me a little bit about the audience reaction to what you were talking about. Yeah, well, the audience reaction is uh, is pretty genuine because you are not going to find, I don't think, a more uh, beloved human being by multiple generations of people who are currently living um, because of how long Fred Rogers was on TV and because of what he really stood for, which was emotional intelligence. Um, you know, it was that, it was that, that sense of understanding your feelings and understanding what makes you an individual and, and really becoming uh, comfortable with that. The other thing of it is that we live in Pennsylvania, which is where Fred Rogers is from. And Pennsylvania is this insanely industrial state. And so there's, uh, there's so many of these like lo-fi uh, sorts of factory tours that he could take people on. And it was all that that really came together for us to get in front of a B2B audience and say, we, we discovered this connection between this person that everybody knows and this thing that brings us all together. And uh, already, like even, even just at that point, within the first couple of minutes, people start to get chills because they're getting this realization. Um, and then you can get into the emotional component of it and you can, you can get into uh, what it really means to be curious and what it really means to be fascinated by the work that we do. And all of a sudden you're giving people a brand new appreciation for what they go and do every day. And you're, you're showing them how important it is, which is exactly what Fred does for four-year-olds uh, right. you know, showing them how important the people around them are. And by proxy also how important the individual is as well. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a, it was a really, almost a spiritual experience to, to put on, to, to put on that, that outfit, literally, in fact, uh, and get up in front of people and make them feel 
the, the feel the, the the value of the work that they do. Um, so the, incidentally, the, the conference where we were speaking, it was the Marketing Profs B2B Forum. So it's it's one of the bigger uh, business to business marketing conferences, uh, at least in, in the States. And it's, in my opinion, it's the best. Um, it's hosted, it's kind of founded by uh, Ann Handley, who's who's one of the, you know, one of the, the founding framers of, of content marketing as we understand it today. Um, and just an all around genius and incredibly creative person um, with one of the best newsletters in the world right now, incidentally. Uh, but she, uh, so, so we were invited to speak at this event. We'd spoken at, uh, at a different version of the same talk uh, a year earlier um, and got this opportunity to actually kick off the entire conference. So people, people sat in their seats um, the lights were down and then the lights came up and they saw that the entire stage of the marketing props B2B forum, the main stage was this sort of marketing props branded living room. That was very, it was like a Rogers esque layout, but it was some of their brand colors. Um, and they heard the Mr. Rogers neighborhood theme come up over the PA and they saw a trolley animated across the big screens. And then, and then we popped out the door to actually, to actually, be the person who steps through that door at that musical cue still gives me chills when I think about doing that. Um, but this audience had, this was how the show started. No one had spoken, no one had spoken to the crowd prior to this moment. So we just came out and we were dressed like Mr. Rogers. Um, and we came out and gave this, this, uh, this kickoff talk. And, uh, it was really something. And, and, and the, the reactions we did see from people, um, we're pretty powerful. Like just to, to Scott's point that this is, this is an icon who means so much to people who represents the best of us. And for us to be able to tell them that you can, you can represent some of that legacy and the work that you do every day. Um, or I think it affected people in a pretty profound way. Not, not, not the kind of emotions you're used to seeing at a, at an right. industrial business to business marketing event. Right. And, and, and Scott, what, is there a certain section of your presentation that you, that you really love or that you think is extra special that we could kind of take a listen to here? Um, it, it really is in two parts. We spend the first part of it talking about the Rogers connection to B2B. Uh, and the fact that that he actually was like like forged in business to business as a child, uh, and so that little little bit about it is is really helpful to understand. And then the back half of it is uh, ways that you can live like Fred Rogers in the world of B two B, and what you can learn from him as a marketer, uh, what you can learn from him as somebody who celebrates and embraces industry. Um, so we we could we could talk about a, a variety of different little sections in there, but um, it's 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 those moments where you get the insight. One of my favorites is uh, is the story of the Christmas window, uh, yeah. which, is, which is appropriate for the uh, for the season that we're in right now here at the end of the year. Okay, so let's take a listen to that section because I love that section as well. Fred Rogers had some opinions about marketing communications, but that does not mean that he thought that our entire profession was not redeemable because there was in fact one time when Fred Rogers was himself a marketer. He was? He was. Right, it was a couple of years after that Senate hearing. The Hallmark store in Midtown Manhattan was creating holiday window displays and they wanted to recruit celebrities to help. So the brief was fairly simple. Create a holiday-themed display that expresses your brand message. So basically like a trade show display, but more tinsel. A lot more tinsel, mm -hmm. right? So 
most of the celebrities did what you would expect celebrities to do. They came up with stuff that fit that celebrity status, and they were, they were opulent, and they were gaudy and garish. But not Fred. No. Because Fred didn't see this as just some opportunity for him to project his own celebrity status. Fred saw this as an opportunity to connect with people. So he did something a little bit different. Lights, please. He asked them for a North Island pine tree about three to four feet in height. It was to remain undecorated and uncut. Now, according to Fred, it had to be a living tree because he wanted them to encase it in a clear lucite box so that everybody could see the roots growing underneath it. And in front of that tree, Fred specified that they place a sign with just eight simple words. I like you just the way you are. Tell me about some of the things that you heard after the presentation, because I imagine that's where some, you probably got some really incredible feedback from, from people. What, what did you hear from them? There were a lot of people, um, especially older folks, who had been in this business for a long time and and would come up to us with tears in their eyes and they would say, you know, you've you've made me understand in a new way the significance of what I do. Um, I mean, people pay a lot of money in therapy to do that, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. so, so to have connected with an audience that way was great. Um, yeah, other people just want to come up and, and just and just talk about their memories about Mr. Rogers. Um, I, 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 there, there was there was one guy uh, who, after the first session, uh, came up with tears in his eyes. He was a good foot taller than me, and he was like, "I can't believe you made me cry." And we were like, "Wait till tomorrow." <laughs> yeah. When you do the rest of it, we're really going to go for the jugular, my friend. Uh, so those kinds of things are really rewarding because um, uh, you, you just it. Well, it, it ends up uh, becoming almost like a like a comic convention or something. You just have this shared shared passion that you're talking to people about that you're connecting with strangers on. And did it have any, uh, obviously you guys, and I want to get into this next, you guys are super passionate. You're super, uh, you know, into this, this world that you live in. Is there ever a time where, where you don't love it and it, and it brings you down. And then you think back on this whole experience and what you said, where you sort of come back in. I mean, do you ever feel like, wait a minute, I don't want to be doing this, this stuff anymore. I want to be doing, you know, consumer stuff or does that ever happen? And then does this, does this speech, this presentation that you guys did bring you back to like, oh yeah, this is why I do it. Yeah. I think, I, I think, uh, I'm not sure that I've, I've experienced that exact emotional journey. Um, but I, I certainly, you know, I, I have my, my days where, where I, I get a little tired of, you know, having to call through, uh, white papers and and uh, you know technical literature to to get to the bottom of what a product is about um, because it is a challenge you know if it's consumer marketing you can you're 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 the audience at times uh, to to some extent you're the consumer um, and that's never almost never the case uh, when you're dealing in in uh, complex manufacturing environments and stuff. I'm, I'm never the, I'm never the, the buyer. I'm never the persona. Um, so you have to really work hard to put yourself in those shoes. But I think, I think the Rogers example is, is, is very encouraging for me in those moments because, because what Fred represented, and I think he, what he still represents today is radical empathy, um, just radical, relentless empathy and, and that drive to, 
put yourself in another person's shoes, um, consider another person's emotions, share another person's feelings, and and create a meaningful connection uh, in the midst of all that. And that's what we have to do. Um, you know, the, the 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 customer is never me, so I have to extend myself every time. So and, I think there's something satisfying about that. And, and Scott, I imagine also. I would imagine, you know, I, I do a lot of mostly consumer stuff and there's a certain element of, you know, there's a certain element of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, where you can kind of spin things a little bit, right? And it's okay. But I imagine in the things that you do, the the viewer, the consumer of the information will call bullshit, right? It's it You, you have to be a lot more... I hate to say this because it sounds like we're, you know we're we're lying in our marketing, but you have to like really. It has to be real. It has to be a truth. It has to be accurate. It has to be right on. Is that is that correct? Ab- absolutely, because in, when you're in industrial marketing, um, sometimes the product that you're selling represents a decision that a company is going to make once every five years. There is literally millions of dollars on the line, and if you make a promise that is not a hundred percent authentic, you're going to get in trouble. Um, legal will kill it before it even goes out the door. And that's if you're lucky uh, because you, you don't want it to go out the door and then uh, realize like unintended consequences. Right. Um, yeah. Very discerning audience. Um, and I, I don't know if you know any engineers, but not only will they call bullshit on it, but they'll kind of do it with some level of glee because like, <laughs> That's their job. <laughs> That's their job right. is, is, uh, is, yeah. is doing that and having that eagle eye. Like we need those guys on the front lines. Um, yeah. And so that, that part of it's really fascinating. But on the days when it feels less than glamorous or the days uh, where you've, you've just looked not, not only at one too many PowerPoint slides, but maybe 10 too many. Um, one of the little exercises that I work myself through is I'll look around my office or I'll look around uh, my home and I'll, I'll fixate on an item and I'll start to imagine a story about the person who designed the components that went into it. And I start to do some storytelling in my head. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm back uh, aligned with the significance of everything. Um, I frequently will tell audiences the chair you're sitting in could be somebody's proudest career moment yet you really have no idea. And so when you start to think about that, you realize um, the significance and the importance of every little thing that we take for granted. And that, that pulls me back into alignment pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. I do know an engineer, my brother's an engineer. So I I definitely know the personality type. Um, Well, this is a good place to take a quick break um, because I forgot to do one very important thing, which we will do right after the break. All right, we're back with my very special guests, Scott Trobaugh and Cliff Lewis. And so the thing that I forgot, and I'm I'm a little bit ashamed because it's a big part of my show, is we forgot to talk about our special cocktails or a special uh, libation that that uh, we're each having. So I'll start off by telling you that I'm staying true to form. I'm having a uh, Mexican meal. I love tequila. So I'm having a little 
Mexican meal, which is, uh, I always love silver tequila. So it's uh, silver Casadores tequila with a little bit of ginger beer and a big old chunk of lime. So who wants to go next? I'll, I'll go next. I'll go next because this is very, this, this is, this is pretty fortuitous. Um, I'm going to, there's no name for this drink, but I'm going to call it a North Pole mule. Um, because what I'm <laughs> drinking right now in this red mug, in this red mug is, uh, it is a hot, a heated Moscow mule, which might sound weird, but it's a thing and it's good. Um, it, it warms you in three ways, both in the temperature, in the heat of the ginger beer and in the, obviously in the, the vodka. Um, but yeah, it's a hot Moscow mule with this, with a little splash of mulled cranberry juice. And wow. it is, it tastes like distilled, the distilled holiday season, like the liquid essence of festivity. It's great. There you go. Spoken like a, uh, a, a true, uh, creative uh uh you are you're a writer right that's my thing <laughs> yeah. so yep. spoken like yep. a true uh ad writer okay yep. scott it looks like you're drinking some kind of uh like a whiskey on the rocks maybe or what do you uh, have in there not not even rocks my friend uh i will i will start by saying you heard me laughing there because cliff will find a way to take the most mundane thing and give it this like special memorable quality uh, <laughs> that's great that's great and that's why you're, that's why you're so successful uh, so I, I i really do think so uh yeah i'm i'm always amused at what he's going to come up with um for me uh i really do just prefer very very simple things you know this is the uh this is the left justified helvetica of beverages um it is uh it's just a a, a neat bourbon yeah. Uh, but this particular bourbon is one that I've been very interested in this year uh, because it is uh, it is probably the simplest and most direct form of, of this drink. Jim Beam came out with a, um, and this is not a, an endorsement uh, necessarily, but they came out with this whiskey this year called Old Tub, which is a, a throwback to the way they used to do it back before prohibition. Um, and it's basically unfiltered. Like they, they make the, the whiskey, they take the wood chips out and... That's, that's, that's as far as it goes. Um, it's straight up simple and um, actually quite, quite flavorful. Yeah. Excellent. Lovely. Well, cheers, guys. Again, thank you for cheers. making the time uh, to join the podcast. We're going to talk a little bit more, but uh, let's take a quick uh, cheers break. All right. So I love this banter between you two guys. You guys seem like you're not only great, uh, you know, workmates, but it seems like you guys are great friends. You have great chemistry. Tell me a little bit about your process because, you know, as an individual, um, you probably have a certain process, but when you come together as a team, how does that work out? And, and, you know, maybe shed some light for the people that don't work in teams. I've never worked in a team. I've always been fascinated by that, that sort of dynamic. Uh, but tell us a little bit about how that works when you're, you know, you're two very creative individuals coming together to form one creative entity. How does that work? Uh Cliff, if you don't mind, I'm gonna I'm gonna tee up a story for you to tell. Okay, because uh, that's one of the ways we work best. So uh, I mentioned mischief before. One of the one of the mantras that Cliff and I um, really always work under is what can we get away with? Um, you know, there's there's this idea of wouldn't it be hilarious if we blank? And what we've noticed is that when we go ahead and fill in that blank and do that thing, uh, it's usually it's usually successful or it's at least compelling. It gets attention. And so our our partnership was really framed around a, a single event um, in I want to say it was 2012, and uh, and we 
uh, were uh, a team that was it was one of the teams sort of in competition for uh, rebranding our agency. And Cliff and I had talked a little bit. We knew that we had a shared love of the same kinds of movies and the same kinds of music, uh, and that we just had that simpatico that Cliff mentioned. So we decided to work together, and that's where we started asking, what can we get away with? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the first time Scott and I connected at all, we were talking about the reissue of the, the Beach Boys Smile album um, and just how the, we were so fascinated by the fact that this album had been compiled and had been sort of this legendary uh, mass Brian, Brian Wilson's legendary masterpiece. And then all of a sudden it had this reissue and we could finally hear it put together. And, and it was, so, it was such a niche conversation to both, simultaneously geek out about that we definitely knew that there was some kind of connection there um but yeah we worked on that project um we decided to collaborate and the way that the way that we worked together then is similar to the way that when it's when it's the two of us i mean now of course we're collaborating with large groups of people at our agency and and a lot of other really brilliant creative minds in our organization are are bringing the bringing the water pressure bringing the energy and we're helping them direct it and shape it and we're helping to package it and sell it um, but, but we still do have times where the two of us are working closely together. And when we do, um, you know, it's, there's a lot of, uh, finishing of each other's sentences. Um, there, there are a lot of moments where, where one of us will kind of start an idea and, and the other one will, will kind of repackage it. There, there's, there's always something wrong in your first ideas, um, that they, some of your first ideas are ultimately going to contain the seedling of, of your best idea. Um, and your first ideas are always gloriously weird in the best possible way. And, and you want to make sure that you don't, you don't neutralize all of that in the process of refining it. Um, but we'll come up with initial ideas. One of the things we often do is we just fill in note cards. Um, and we got that idea from, I mean, a lot of, I'm sure we're not the first creatives to use, use a note card method, but we just started using note cards. And for me, it was inspired by, uh, some stories of, um, how, how Robert Zemeckis and his creative team developed all of the entire screenplay for back to the future. Um, they did it with a note card method and what they did was they said, okay, guy from 1985 goes back to 1955. What happens? And they just filled out story beats and they didn't put them in order. They just slapped them down on the table. They're like, Hey, maybe he, maybe he invents Johnny be good. And they're just writing all these things down and throwing them on the table. And then eventually, you know, they organized those ideas. They threw out some of the ones that weren't going to work. They, you know, they, they laid them out, they worked them into a story structure that really had, had some flow and had some dramatic pull. Um, and then you get back to the future. So we work that way too. So we'll get Sharpies and note cards and we'll just, we'll slap stuff down on the table, even, even the most ridiculous ideas. And it's like, it's like we're playing a card game. Um, we'll take two cards and we'll put them together. We'll say, Hey, if you put these two thoughts together, you know, you could end up with this. And, and, uh, what we ultimately ended up with in that in that particular engagement uh, about eight years ago was we came up with this idea that what if we were going to you know we were going to ultimately have to get in front of our agency and pitch this idea for how we could rebrand, and uh, we didn't really have much much notoriety or you know we were I was only I don't even know if I was two years at the company um, it was kind of my first serious marketing gig and uh, so so we we didn't really it didn't feel like we were going to get very far with this, but we thought, well, why don't we just do, do a Hail Mary and do something really weird. So we ended up presenting our brand concept. Um, We basically took a bunch of sheets of printer paper and we, Scott created a design for each one. So almost like a really nicely designed presentation deck. 
um, except printed on large 11 by 17 sheets of paper. We thumbtacked them all together in a, in a packet onto a foam core board. And we stood up in front of the agency. We didn't say a word. We pressed play and let If I Were a Carpenter by Johnny Cash and June Carter play. And we just ripped sheets off of that stack to reveal the next slide, so to speak, paper slide. And we just let the, we let the paper do all the talking. We didn't say a word. Um, and we just each took turns. I ripped off a sheet, Scott ripped off a sheet and we did it sort of on beat. And, uh, by the time it was done, it had told the whole story. The ground, the, the floor was covered in paper. Uh, we took a bow, uh, to, to a, a pretty surprising amount of applause and, Long story short, our idea was ultimately chosen by the leadership team, and we got the opportunity to not only have our concept, uh, you know, you know, uh, refined into the brand of the company, but we actually were given the opportunity to lead that process, um, wow. which was pretty thrilling for us, especially, you know, for I, I had, you know, I had hardly worked on any branding engagements at all. I had a lot of opinions about branding, but I hadn't really gotten to do a lot of it myself. And suddenly to be thrust into the position where I can help actually shape that process was, was really exciting. And, and so, so the way we work together then very similar to the way we work together now. So two things I just want to mention is, is something that's really amazing and surprising and, and, uh, and awesome is the, the amount of pitch theater that you guys seem to employ, not, not just in the Mr. Rogers, uh, presentation, but in this description that you gave, and I've, you know, I've worked, um, I haven't worked for the, the big, big ad agencies, but I've worked for some pretty big agencies. And I got to tell you, I haven't seen that level of like, you know, pitch theater. Uh, so I applaud you for that. And I'm going to steal that. Uh, I'm going to steal that <laughs> technique, by the way, I try to do it uh, in my storytelling. Uh, and I try to add some elements, but I don't think I've ever not said anything and just let a, a song play and rip stuff off a board. So uh, yeah, well, hats, I mean, hats we, off to you for that. We have to, we have to definitely give credit to Bob Dylan. I mean, it's, it's very similar in, in vibe to the, uh, the video for subterranean homesick blues, you know, where he's right. holding those placards. Um, it was, it was actually very, very similar to that. But the, the shtick was that we had, uh, we had B to B, right. It's, it's B with a number two and a capital B and we just took the two out. And every single one of those pieces of paper had something different in between. Yeah. Um, and so we were basically taking icons and turning them into verbs. And that made people think. Right. Uh, so so we knew we knew two things. We knew that we could win and we could get this opportunity. But even if we didn't, we knew that we'd probably make a reputation for ourselves. Right. And I, and I think there's a parallel there uh, in, in what you can do when you're pitching a client. They may not like the idea, but what you're also telling them is, we are unafraid to get crazy. Absolutely. And we're, 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 we can do that for you. And so the question may not be, do we want these ideas? The question is, do we want this agency? Right. right. So you're answering, you're answering both. Yeah. And that, that's usually what it comes down to, right. Is that they're hiring the group of people that they want to work with. So that's totally. cool. So how do you, um, so that sounds all beautiful and perfect. What happens when you don't agree and what happens, you know, when there's you, you know, Cliff, you want to go one way and Scott, you want to go the other way. How do you, how do you come together? Um, you know, is there a amount of compromise Does somebody finally just persuade the other or tell us a little bit about if that's ever happened. I assume that's got to have happened <laughs> at some point. 
<laughs> we we are both incredibly persuasive individuals, and <laughs> and and I will either convince Cliff to see it my way, or he will convince me to see it his. I think more more often than not. Uh, yeah. Or there have been times where instead of two ideas, we'll take three, and we'll just do it all. That's that's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's funny because I can't even think of an anecdote. Uh, it's it's pretty rare uh, that we don't uh, like we very often we very often um, and I, I like I so I, I I have a really great relationship with my wife. We're best friends, and we were best friends when we were teenagers. And sometimes I don't like to talk about it too much because I feel like I'm going to make other people feel bad. Right. Um, you know, and I feel that way with Scott, where it's like, you know, somebody who, who's maybe just never found the right creative partner to team up with. Um, but the fact is, it, it is quite true that the two of us, Scott and I, will will get started on a project and one of us can say like a word and the other one's like, yep, exactly what I was thinking. And we, we just we've we've kind of formed a very similar rhythm of thought. So it's rare when it does happen it's momentarily quite awkward because it's like, ah, I don't know. I don't know how to deal with these emotions. I don't, yeah. <laughs> what does this mean? Like, you know, like, um, but, but yeah, Scott, I think Scott nailed it that we, we do often, we, we just slow down and we think, and we both start employing the Socratic method and we start asking each other questions and, <laughs> and leading questions. And usually just, we, we really do find our way to a point of agreement typically. And, wow. and I think it's, it's usually that method of, of persuasion where you need to show another person, and this is true in all of life, but I think it works for the two of us really easily. Uh, you show the other person that you completely understand what it is they're saying and what it is they're proposing, explain it to them better than they could explain it to you better than they've explained it to you. And if you see their head nodding that they see that you understand what they're saying, then you have an opportunity to share how you want to speak into that. Um, how you, how you would want to modify that, you know, and, or, or, you know, explain how you see the the current conditions of the current brief as something that doesn't quite accommodate that approach, but you got to show, you got to start off by showing the other person that you really are listening to them. And I, I think that's what works with us. And that's interesting, right? Because it all kind of comes full circle in terms of what we were talking about with Mr. Rogers, right? It sounds, what you just described sounds like the way Mr. Rogers might um, tell kids how to solve a disagreement or how to come together. So that's pretty interesting because it really has come full circle. So yeah. I've gotten a good, some good nuggets of what inspire, uh, what inspires you two, right? I've, I've heard mention of, of movies. I've heard mention of music. Um, you, it sounds like you guys are lovers of art and, uh, film and all those types of things, but what, what, what gives you the most inspiration or, or where do you draw most of your inspiration from? Is there any one source? Are you big, uh, you know, readers, are you taking it from, you know, books that are more, um, uh, you know, kind of instructional or are you taking cues from, you know, back to the future? So tell us a little bit more about what inspires <laughs> you guys. You know, I, I think it's it's really a love of story so much um, because, you know, we, we do speak in the in the parlance of story quite a bit in storytelling. Um, you know, everything that we're talking about are, are stories. And, and we, we talk about the way that stories are, are audibly told and the way that they're visually told. But I think another big part of it is juxtaposition. Um, and, and finding those surprising viewpoints on things. And that's one of the things that we love to share. Uh, the, the clip that you played earlier about the, uh, about the, the 
Christmas window, the holiday window uh, that Mr. Rogers decorated. When we were talking about that, there was a point, I think, where I looked at Cliff and I said, do you realize what he did in that moment? He rebelled. He rebelled against the entire system. He rebelled against the system that we're a part of. And he did it in a way that was very gentle. So all of a sudden, I'm thinking about Mr. Rogers as this like sweater clad, like punk rocker who was like thumbing his nose at the establishment through that act. Um, And it redefined rebellion for me as this as this thing that you can do gently. And all of a sudden, like my head's just exploding with ideas. Um, and we both start to get really excited about it. It's, it's those, those insights where I think about, I think about the Ramones and I think about Mr. Rogers and now I'm like blending the two together wow. uh, in this, in this wild thing. And then Cliff will come in and he'll, he'll have some other reference or something that he'll, he'll throw in there. And then we're like laughing out loud and writing as fast as we can. Right. Those are, those are the moments you freaking live for in this business. Right. Um, you know, it, it, but it, it is, it's about that layering and, and juxtaposition for me. That's, that's one of the biggest. Yeah. Yeah, we get we get inspiration from a lot of stuff. And I, I think um, the things that I, you know, I was thinking, I, I was wondering if you might ask about this. So I was thinking about it a little bit earlier today. And uh, I think there are a lot of things that um, that I'd recommend in terms of inspiration for folks who are in, in the create the world in the realm of creative direction. Um, and one of the big ones that has really done me a lot of good um, as a creative director, as a presenter is, uh, competitive storytelling competitions. Um, so like the moth or, you know, there are a lot of different story slams. We have, we have a more local in our, in our area of our town, our region of Pennsylvania. We've got a pretty, pretty large event that happens, uh, annually. Sadly right now it's, it's not, it's kind of a, a shadow of what it usually is during uh, lockdown, but, um, you know, wait, to have to get up in front of a microphone, to have a five-minute limit, and to tell a complete story, um, that is as the, the rules are, tell a five-minute story with no notes, no visual support, no AV, just you and a mic. You've got five minutes. It has to be as true as it can be, and and it has to be from your own life. And to, to be forced to do that, I've done, I've done a good bit of that, and uh, it, it really teaches you how to polish a story. Um, how to tell a story in an exciting way. It's, it's sort of like uh, it's half like confessional booth, half stand up comedy. Yeah. And so those kinds of experiences are really, really inspired. Like any, any creative director, right, whether you, you're from the art side or the copy side or the digital side, um, any creative director, I'd highly encourage to get just, just throw themselves into that because I think it, it refines you in almost every way that it refines you is relevant to the work of creative direction. So I highly recommend that. Well, yeah. And, and to, to brag on Cliff for just a minute, I mean, he, he not only won the, uh, the monthly, but then he goes on to win the, uh, the annual after that. Right. So yeah. he's, he's, he's got this trophy. And part of that is due to Cliff's storytelling prowess and the fact that it, it's something he studied really his whole life in, in some form or another. But part of it is the fact that he had this delightfully strange childhood in ways. And so I, I feel like he's got this unending well of bizarre stories, uh, which is, is fascinating to me. But that, that event, the fact that he went there and, and did that, um, I also had started to watch cause they video all of them. It's, it's great. I mean, you get on YouTube and you can see previous months. Um, the person who had won the month before Cliff did, uh, was somebody that we had interviewed a couple of years prior for a writer position. 
And when I saw him, I was like, we need to call this guy. He's really good. And we actually used it at least once as a recruitment tool. And he's, uh, I think he just celebrated his fifth anniversary with us. So um, it's, it's also a really great way to network. Uh, and that's, that's yeah. one of those, those terrific byproducts of it. So how do you navigate and not, not, you know, not knowing the, the amount of work that you guys are handling at any given time, how do you navigate keeping, cause I, I'm, I'm like blown away by your all's energy and just your passion and your excitement. Um, and I like to think of myself as, you know, in a similar, um, you know, in a, s- a similar vein, but sometimes I get, I just get beat up by the mount. Right. And I'm just, I'm trying to figure out new ways to get faster and, and, you know, maintain some level of storytelling, but how do you, how do you keep up that storytelling energy and that passion and that like, you know, um, thing that you guys seem to do so well, how do you keep it going when you're like on deadline and deadline and deadline, et cetera? Wow. I don't know. Sometimes it is really hard. Uh, you know, <laughs> you've got me on, on a decent day. I'm, I'm at that point where my, you know, I've been in the, the rush to, uh, to get everything wrapped up before we're on break. Uh, and, and I've just kind of, I feel like I've just crossed a threshold. So I'm feeling good, um, right now. And, and the, uh, the North pole meal helps as well. Yeah. Uh, but, um, I, I think, you know, but that we certainly have our moments, uh, you know, we had, we had a, a period this summer where we had two really large, uh, overlapping pitches happening at one time. Um, and you know, when you, when you start to stack those things up or there have been times where, you know, you gotta have to travel uh, multiple times within the month of December and sell a brand concept and then do a, deliver a pitch somewhere. Um, even at, in fact, back when we did our marketing props presentation, that was one of the, the most stressful uh, and busy times in my entire career because we had had to do a, a pretty significant pitch just just the week right before we went to profs and and marketing profs was in it that presentation was incredibly theatrical and rehearsed yeah. and you know so so that was so we've certainly had our moments and I you know I don't know that there's an easy answer um, to where we find the energy I think I think there is just there's there's such a joy and I think any creative director knows this or any creative knows this, that there's such a joy uh, to having made a thing and finished the thing and you look at it and it's good and, and you know, it's good. Um, You know, it happened to me last night. I was like pretty feeling pretty beleaguered, pretty exhausted. Um, And I typed up of all things, the most mundane thing. I typed up uh, a uh, a proposal for uh, um, speaking, speaking opportunities. So we, we, I typed this up and I was like, just felt like I nailed what the, what our thesis was. And it just felt good. And I sent it to Scott and he was like, this is perfect. I don't see anything we need to change about this. And like, that is such a satisfying feeling. Um, you know, nothing, nothing that you do in your day job is going to perfectly compare to that, that same satisfaction when it's something that comes purely of your own inspiration. That's, you know, uh, like in your case, like making, recording a song, um, or, you know, in my case, you know, I, well, I do sometimes I do some music as well, but you know, like, right. I do some creative writing on the side and you know, nothing compares to doing something that's purely of your own heart and inspiration, but it comes pretty dang close when you create something, even if it's, you know, writing, you're working from a brief and, and you've created something and you see that it's good and you know that you did it just that, that satisfaction goes a long way. That's a pretty strong dopamine hit. 
Yeah, absolutely. It is. Absolutely. What, I, what is your, sorry, you want to share something? Oh yeah. Well, another, another piece of, of advice that I frequently give people is uh, if you are feeling really shot, you're feeling really, uh, really tapped out. Um, one of the things it, it's a lot easier to do this when you're actually in an office with people, but I, I've done it outside as well. Um, one thing that I do is I'll take some inventory of people I haven't spoken to in a while. Uh, and I'll try to think of some things that people have done that I found either really admirable uh, or really meaningful. And I'll just connect with, with them for five minutes. I'll swing by somebody's desk and say, I haven't gotten to tell you lately, but uh, the way that you greet people when you're in the kitchen and, and they're coming in for coffee really brightens people's day. And you probably don't know that. Yeah. Um, you know, doing those little things, they have to be genuine, right? I'm not, I'm not lying to anybody. Right. I'm not making it up, but it reconnects you with with why you're doing what you're doing. And it reconnects you with the people that you're doing it with. Um, you brighten somebody else's day and it's, it's an exercise in gratitude and uh, yeah. you, you can't, you can't fake that. Um, but you can, you can, you can light matches under it when you need to. Um, yeah. 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 Gratitude is a big, big thing that I think people don't take advantage of enough. I have a little sheet that I call my get it, get it done list. And I have, you know, the most important action of the day. I think, things that are hot. I have, you know, a little section for personal things that I have to do. Mm -hmm. And there's a section in there that's just thank yous. And I yeah. try to write down someone to thank or, you know, something to acknowledge, um, you know, and, and people to connect with. So I think it's something that's, that's really uh, important. So let me ask you this. What do you think, um, what do you see on the horizon in marketing for your particular, you know, B2B space? Or just in general, like what do you see that's coming that you're excited about? Or what do you see that worries you? Or is there anything that's on your mind like, huh, what what are we gonna do here? Or man, I can't wait for this to hit our our industry. The thing that gets me about B2B right now is it is more relevant in all of our lives than I think it's ever been. It's more top of mind. Um, I have heard people who I never expected to use words like supply chain. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've heard it. it's in common parlance. It's everywhere. Right. And, uh, and so <laughs> for the rest of my life, when people are like, so you're in B2B marketing, what exactly does that mean? Um, oh, you remember during COVID when everything ground to a halt because they couldn't get mail sorting machines, uh, to work fast enough, or they had to distance this, or they had to do that. Uh, yeah. Supply chains, logistics, like there are all these words that we're basically hearing on the nightly news. Um, so B2B is a hot thing. Right. I mean, yeah. the, the, the infrastructure, like you start to see when there's a, when there's a monkey wrench in it. So I, I think that that's a cool thing. So one of the big trends is just that we're going to be talking about it more. I think that uh, it's going to change the way that we create. But the other thing that I'll say uh, before I pass the mic back over to Cliff is we have, we have launched forward five or six years in terms of our ability to use some of the technologies that we have. We've done it through necessity, through like instant group, like holistic necessity. And while it's, it's, you know, tragic the way that some things have happened, it's also amazing. It's, it's going to springboard us forward, I think, as, as an industry and as a society. So I'm excited about that. Cool. Cliff, what do you, what do you think? Yeah. Um, I think, uh, one of the, one of the big things is, is based, based on what Scott just said is, uh, is the, the new opportunities in, in virtual presentation design. 
I think has, has been really exciting and, and fascinating to me. We've been experimenting. We've got pretty brilliant uh, video AV guy uh, that works at our company. And we collaborate with this guy a lot um, on, on coming up with novel ways to present, especially when we can't be there, especially when it's a pitch yeah. and every single superficial detail matters. Um, and we've, ex we've experimented with new forms of presentation design. Um, one of them that's been really fun is creating presentation designs where you don't have, you're not using slides. It's just you and it's Prezi video is kind of like what yeah. I'm describing, um, where you're just using overlays and you know, it's th that means that as a presenter, you get to really take up the full visual space and, right. and engage on a more human level. Um, and you can point to things and gesture to things. And it's so much more, it seems so much more substantial and almost tactile when you get to present like that. So, so those kinds of innovations are exciting and I'm, I am looking forward to seeing how that happens. And then also just in terms of uh, organizations, um, uh, we, we're excited about the opportunities of, of working remotely. Um, I don't think any, any white collar office of any kind is probably going to go back to business as usual entirely after all this. Right. Yeah. Um, and any company that has been hamstrung uh, in terms of recruiting because of their geography or where they're located, um, that that's going to be fascinating to see how that changes when, when, more and more companies just feel free to hire from across the country, from mm. across the world. Um, you know, we're, we're not a massive company and we typically try to hire locally when we can. Um, but that also, that can bring its limitations. So we're excited to see, you know, when we, next time we're looking for, for a, a niche role, um, we can cast a wider net and, that's, you know, yeah. that's, so, so those are a couple of things that I'm most excited about when I think about, you know, our institutions as, as, uh, marketers. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. That's, that's really fascinating. Cause you're right. It's opened up the, uh, the whole world in some ways. And I agree that I, I don't think we're going back in, in, in the same way that we, that we, we were before. So yeah, that, that's great. Okay. So we, we've come to the time to that moment in the show where we have to pay off the title of the show, confessions of a creative director. So who wants to go first and, 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 get something off their chest, a secret, a creative director's secret that you've been holding on to for all these years. Uh, let us have it. Do you want to go first, Scott? A silence, silence I, falls upon I, the room. I, I have something. I, you, should, you should go ahead. I'll go after you. Okay. Um, I'm stepping into the confessional booth. Um, so I think, uh, so, so my big one is just, you know, we told the story of how we got this opportunity to rebrand our agency. Um, I, there was so much I didn't know. I mean, I, I honestly think that if some of the folks who were kind enough to entrust us with that responsibility, if they knew how little I knew at the time about how to do all this, uh, I do not think they would have handed me the opportunity. Um, so, I, I mean, I... I, it was, it was a few, it was only a few years after I uh, graduated from school and I had a thesis that I finished that I, that I was, that was going to complete my degree, um, my bachelor's. And I, I, I had been like, basically because I hadn't finished the thesis, I was just this super senior just sort of perpetually. So like, I didn't even have, I didn't even have a degree yet. Um, and, and so there are a couple of years where, where I was just doing this work and learning it 
just by being there. I was an English major too. So I didn't study marketing. I didn't study branding. Um, so I was just reading books and reading articles and just consuming, just consuming research and, and also just kind of following, following the creative, the, the creative muse, uh, yeah. and, and doing this work. And so to me, that's my great confession. I mean, talk about imposter syndrome. You know, I went through years where I eventually did complete that thesis and, and, you know, I, ha I have my, <laughs> I have my degree. Um, but I, I went through years of like literally having imposter syndrome nightmares where I was back in school. And I think other people have had this dream where you're in school and you're failing a class because you didn't know you were signed up for it. Yeah. And you're like four tests in and you just were racking up zeros for half a semester. <laughs> I would have that. That was that's the only recurring dream I've had for my entire life. And I had it like on almost a monthly basis during those years, because it was just, it was obviously a manifestation of this extreme imposter syndrome. Um, so I think that's, that's a confession, but it also should be, you know, anyone should take it as an encouragement as well. Yeah. Should, you know, you, you sometimes have to just, you know, put on your blinders and barrel ahead and, and follow the spark because and, you, you can do great things. And, and frankly, it probably helped you because had you known too much, you may not have come up with that, that brilliant sort of replacement of the, you know, of the two with the, with the other words, you may not have come up with that. Cause you might've said, Oh, they'll never go for that. Or I know, right. you know, so sometimes what you don't, what you don't know is a benefit because if you do know it, you tend to constrain, you know, constrain your, your thinking a little bit. What do you it got? Scott? Uh, mine. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things I could say here, but I, I think what I want to let people know is, and it's it's going to feel good to be able to get this off my chest. A mm. um, couple of years ago, there was a planning meeting on my calendar uh, for the afternoon from from like twelve thirty to three thirty. It was a very important planning meeting, and uh, during that time, um, I'm sure everybody thought I was in a different place in the agency than I was, uh, but I was actually three miles away at the movie theater seeing Doctor Strange. <laughs> because uh two reasons number one i think i had worked the weekend prior and i knew <laughs> i knew that it wasn't a terrible thing uh but second um i really always wanted to to know what don draper felt like when he when you go out in the afternoon and like go see godzilla right <laughs> um, what i found from that though what i found is that i came back refreshed i came back with new ideas um you know and so <laughs> i i don't think i i don't know that i put any of it as uh, as learn train time on my timesheet uh but i but i easily could have uh and 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 without guilt because uh you know those those things are inspiring and and that movie i mean it's a it's a visual feast it's amazing yeah. that's awesome that's awesome great great confession well guys um thanks for being on the show i really appreciate it i i have to tell you a couple things first of all i'm super jealous that i don't have a a a, a creative sort of partner in crime obviously i have my team and they're great partners but just this side you know side by side sort of relationship that you guys have is is really awesome and uh, you know i hope you guys know how lucky you are to to sort of have each other as you know partners so that that's really awesome second thing the big takeaway is just embracing that uh you know that level of of pitch theater or um storytelling you know oftentimes i i, I believe in that as well but i i will say that sometimes i let my own sort of fear sort of get it, get in the way of going full bore. So you've, you've inspired, uh, you've inspired me there. 
And then I think the third takeaway for me has just been just how I love your passion for what you do, right? Some people might think that, um, uh, you know, that, that there's not much creativity in, in that sector, but what you have just described to me is like mind blowing. And I hope that people take away, um, you know, that level that there's, you can insert creativity into everything and anything. And, um, just, you know, the aspect of storytelling to bring these ideas to life, this aspect of empathy and empathizing with, with the people that are consuming your product. I think that's just really inspiring. So I just wanted to share that with you and just say, thanks again for being on the podcast. Uh, I hope you guys had a little fun. I hope you guys have an incredible, uh, holiday. And, uh, I, I say we do, we do it again here in the future. Cause I'm, I want to hear some of these cliff childhood stories. Yeah. Uh, oh man. That, that's a whole other thing. And then we didn't get to touch on the Mandalorian. I wanted to talk about the Mandalorian cause it mm. sounds like you guys are into this stuff and I, I I'm having trouble understanding the timeline, but that's for another show. <laughs> so thanks again, guys. I, I hope you have a wonderful holiday and uh, a great 2021. I think it's going to be an awesome year. And thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much uh, for having us. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't do the shameless thing and let you know that we also uh, have a podcast called Secret Headquarters with Scott and Cliff. Uh, so we would love to have you on and uh, and have uh, another extended conversation there in the near future. Oh, I'd love that. I'd love that. I'd love to just, you know, get a little bit more of uh, some more uh, Cliff and Scott time. So anytime, I'd love to be on there. And uh, again, we'll talk soon. Thanks, guys. All right. There you have it. Aren't those guys cool? Uh, really great guys. Lots of creativity. I really enjoyed my conversation with them. And be sure and check out their podcast. It's secretheadquarterspodcast.com. Well, that does it for another episode of Confessions of a Creative Director. You can learn more about the show at cdconfessions.com. And if you could, please let all your creative friends know about the podcast. Have them subscribe. I think they'll enjoy it. And uh, yeah, look forward to building the audience in 2021. Thanks for listening. I'm going to play you out with song number 38 from my song club. It's called Helpless No More. Until next time, peace.